Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. And I am really, really honoured and excited to have Dr. Philip Alexander on the show today. Welcome to the show, Dr. Philip. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your, your show. I've watched a, a lot of them and I've really got a lot out of them. Thank you. Oh, no, you're most welcome. So for those that don't know Dr. Philip, he is a phenomenal children's uh, doctor and he's got some fantastic uh, reviews from a children's hospital from both his patients, carers and also the staff working there. And he is clearly one that is able to serve his his patients with compassion and empathy um, and really care for them in, in in an extraordinary way that serves them as a patient so i'm really looking forward to to hearing your your story that uh, that made you into the the phenomenon that you are today uh, uh, as a doctor and i'm excited to to talk to you and 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 learn more yeah, so well, thank you. That's, that's some powerful introduction. But I, uh, it hasn't been without plain sailing or without its problems. Um, in that, uh, uh, I became unwell, mentally unwell, in 2013-14, and probably wow. um, had been paddling under the water for a number of years in medicine because, uh, as you say, that that uh, characteristic of empathy and compassion if you don't look after yourself it can it, you can burn out quite easily yeah. and i didn't realize that and just kept uh you know doing the the job or or the, the the interaction with parents and children that i felt that i needed to give as though it was a member of my own family mm -hmm. and it just meant that quite a lot of the emotions the frustrations just i took on board as well and felt all mm -hmm. of those emotions and it can uh, it can be difficult if you don't look mm. after yourself. So uh, just with the, how busy the, the job was, I had sort of neglected myself a little bit for quite a number of years and therefore ended up unwell. And mm. it probably uh, goes back to some uh, adverse experiences in childhood as mm. well that sort of I hadn't really dealt with and I mm -hmm. hadn't really um, I hadn't really healed from that or even accepted that uh, that those things happened and they they were they were detrimental in any way so i'd pushed them to one side to study away for medical school and beyond and um unfortunately when you do that it sort of raises itself and rears it, it mm. when you're older and it did that for me um mm. at approaching the age of 40 in 2014 and um it, it because it, it got to that stage i've been out i had been out of work for a long period of time from 2014 to this year and i'm only really starting to reintegrate back into the pediatric workplace but wow. i am glad that um it happened in that way even though it was quite distressing and it was quite a long time but by doing it in that way i have gained quite a lot of other experiences mm -hmm. other passions and other drives that uh i would like to move forward uh, by continuing with some sessions in paediatrics, but also to balance that out and to um, perform some sessions in the well-being of healthcare staff and create a role within the NHS that I can, uh, through lived experience and knowing all the sources and resources and signposting that is out there, that I can help other members of staff um, 
feel less stigmatized and be able to talk about their mental health or mental difficulties openly because we know that uh, a lot of the surveys behind the scenes that are anonymous will tell us that up to 70 75 percent of doctors have some form of uh, difficulty uh, but they don't all disclose it and um, the problem with that is that um, it can be under the surface for a long period of time and then yeah. the risk is that it, it that it uh, that it rears itself um uh, when you least expect it so yeah i hope i hope to move forward with that and that's that's uh, i think it's so important to have people like yourself who who have been through that darkness and come out the other side and can share their journey and share their story of recovery and hope and healing to to know that it's okay to not be okay and it's really important to to talk about it early because like a trauma the seed when the seed takes root the longer you leave it the stronger the the roots become and the, uh, and the larger the tree and it, it becomes harder uh later on much like breaking a leg it, it, if you don't if you don't address it early and don't uh, don't apply treatment early it, it's a longer journey of recovery um, but by burying it, and actually, we, we know from uh, scientific research that buried trauma um, can be very detrimental to us um, over the long term in terms of chronic illnesses as well. And I know we uh, met um, from a, me a mental he health awareness, mental health first aid course, which which was just brilliant to meet you there because we were both, you know, learning what what it means from a first aider perspective um having bo both ourselves had um uh, adverse experiences from our past m myself also some childhood experiences uh and then on into into my adulthood in terms of trauma then so it was great for you to be able to share some of your journey there and i'm really um pleased that you've been able to to do it in a way that is now going to help other people feel empowered to share and to really you know this show is about helping break the stigma and helping raise the conversations those difficult conversations that people really struggle to talk about i know it's okay to talk about it and it's really important to to talk about it as well and to find that safe person that you can have that conversation with and be vulnerable and know that it's okay to do that Yes, so thank you. I mean, I've been having a lot of uh, a lot of uh, passion for these courses, and uh, that may be one of the good things that has come out of lockdowns and pandemic is that we've got an awful lot used to more used to these uh, conversations and training courses over the internet and over Zoom. Uh, we've got over that initial awkwardness or slight satellite delay that we feel. Uh, yeah. We've got over that. We've been able to get on to these courses and collaborate with others and speak to others and hear others' experiences. And it's been invaluable to me, actually. Um, I've been on quite a lot where uh, we've been in small groups discussing things and um, uh, and then taking that forward and presenting it to the group and it really really has benefited me uh, enormously um, I also would like to within the medical culture it, it's, it's maybe an extra layer of stigma feeling that um, you might be seen as weaker or that not as competitive there's a there's a competitive streak run through mm -hmm. medicine even though we're told there, there aren't enough doctors and we need this we need more staff 
there still is that competitive streak in there um, for some reason. And um, and sometimes certain personalities can fall to the wayside uh, through the journey. Uh, but I just would like to make sure that those those personalities and individuals have an awful lot to contribute. And usually it's in the, the realm of uh, being a good listener, being empathetic. And that is a, a very important to the patients. So mm -hmm. those people shouldn't fall by the wayside as they go along. And we should um, encourage open and honest uh, conversations about mental health within the culture just to normalize it mm -hmm. and ex accept that most doctors will have some form of, uh, and, and so we would, be more concerned if someone didn't come forward at some stage and say, look, I'm having difficulty with this. Mm -hmm. And it should be baked into medical training that we do talk about these things mm -hmm. openly. There are a few charities since 2018 that have arisen that I have really been very impressed by. Um, there is the charity that I uh, had been involved with uh, called You OK Doc. And mm -hmm. um, they run a peer support group every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. for doctors and medical students throughout the UK to come on and talk about anything that's bothering them really. And uh, we've got quite a, re a range of people on there. Uh, some have had mental health struggles. Some have had problems with stigma within the the profession. And we just talk and, and let each other know that that experience is quite common, and they're they're not um, they're they're not some standout abnormal uh, experience that they're having, and that other people go through it too, and we can help each other. So yeah. that weekly peer support group is excellent, and it is going from strength to strength. I, I see that some hospitals right. have now baked it into their training program, uh, peer support and Doctors in Distress, although it is another charity uh, since 2018, set up by a pharmacist in response to um, the death of his brother through suicide, um, who was a medical professional, a uh, consultant cardiologist. And they didn't really have any warning because he didn't talk about anything to do mm. with that. And, and all of a sudden this happens. So this his pharmacist brother just wants, what can we do to change the culture within the medical profession that um, people will speak more openly and honestly about their mental health? They also have branched out to help to create peer support groups for nurses, for paramedics, uh, for people uh, with COVID uh, that have had to shield, for yeah. those health professionals that have experienced long COVID and difficulties with that. So there's mm. quite a lot of uh, specific peer support groups that Doctors in Distress have provided that that are uh, on the rise. So I'm very hopeful for the future of peer support. Now, the culture may take a longer time to change, but if, as long as we keep talking openly and honestly uh, and connecting with others, I do. I am very hopeful for the future and uh, inspired really to continue mm. the, along the well-being route yeah and I, I, I'm sure I am you know honestly very shocked by the statistic that you've just quoted of 75% um, experience a mental health struggle or yeah. are experiencing one which just demonstrates you know the statistics are out that that um, being normal is you know feeling normal is not normal <laughs> not yes. normal um and so it's okay to to talk about your struggles because ev pretty much everyone around you three out of four people around you um are going to be experiencing it um themselves and so the more they can open up that dialogue and conversation um the more you can work as a collective group to 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 help you know take 
the pressure off that, and look at ways in which everybody can support each other. Um, and I think that's really important and, and really powerful. But the key here is to create that safe haven um, yes. where people can have those safe conversations without it, you know, being detrimental to their career progression, especially if there's a, a competitive uh, streak out there where mental health becomes a, um, a mark against you. Uh, as it were, um, to, to progress. And I'm not saying it does, but if there's that perception, yeah. um, then it's important that that's, er that's really er eradicated. And I'm really, I'm, ma I'm massively fascinated by this topic because I myself have experienced mental health struggles and had suicidal thoughts back in 2016 and fortunately was able uh, to to see the way the way out through through high performance coaching and subsequently brain health coaching and i think what's what i find really important and the reason we talk about it from a brain health perspective is that everybody has a brain mental health is a subset of brain health everyone has a brain and, and we can talk about the organ rather than ourselves and so it's easier to create that um uh, separation between the struggles and the issues you're having and it and, and it being a label on you, um, which yeah. is why we try and uh, talk about brain health. And so, you know, brain health, that, that there's a whole spectrum in terms of, 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 of what brain health is for people into, you know, being in a struggling space, having a mental health issue, all the way through to being a, having a high performing brain. What would you say for yourself personally? What does optimal brain health mean for you personally? Well, it's been a it's been a bit of a discovery for me over the last few years, really. Um, and I may have been able in the past to uh, advise others on keeping themselves healthy and to have a healthy brain. You need to have good sleep, uh, sleep regulation. You need to have uh, improve your nutrition and um, your diet. Um, you need to get outside in, in, in nature uh, and exposure to sunlight and you uh, movement and exercise to incorporate mm -hmm. into your day. And it would have been an, a connection with others as well and a sense of purpose or some form of giving back to others also was very important um, in that whole well-being sense and keeping your brain healthy. So. Uh, it is very difficult then for doctors seem to be able to give others advice, but very difficult for them to accept themselves and push it to one side because they're so busy or so busy being a perfectionist in in trying to deliver something for their patients that they just forget about themselves a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and we just uh, try to change that. So I would say that the brain health is uh, a combination of addressing any past traumas um, and making sure that if you need medical help that you don't feel stigmatized or shut off to seeking uh, medical help or the appropriate treatment be that um, uh, hopefully a short course of medication along with talking therapy but also the promotion of your, your sleep, your nutri nutrition, getting outside, movement and exercise, connecting with others and learning something new, um, sense of purpose and giving back to others. Mm. And I, I think that's so important. And I, I really love the way that you encompassed everything there that, 
that that allows us to optimize our our brain health from a you know a nutrition and exercise a sleep for me sleep is the most important of all because if we don't sleep our brain doesn't clean itself at night um, doesn't clear itself of its of the toxins that build up during the day and it means that we are much less uh, have much less performance from a brain function perspective than we would do if we have have optimal sleep and as you said nu nutrition exercise connecting with nature connecting with others and also I think what was really key is the fact that you mentioned dealing with past trauma because a lot of people don't deal with it or the way they do deal with it from a self-medication perspective is to numb it yeah. um, and and that numbing of it often can take place in the form of uh, can lead to addiction so alcohol or, or, or drug addiction for me I, I used to numb it without with alcohol um, fortunately I didn't get into an addictive state but often people can uh, focus on the on the trying to uh, pretend it isn't there and actually that can be the worst thing that you can that's often the worst thing to do because it leaks out because your body says no um, as Dr. Gabor Mate um, his, his wonderful book is when the body says no is that you have to address that emotional trauma from your past because it will because like emotions are like a signal and if you don't listen to it you're brain cranks the signal up and makes it louder and louder and louder and louder until eventually you can't ignore it uh, <laughs> um, and it would have been just much better if you'd listened to that signal uh, at the outset uh, uh, and taken action that is constructive rather than destructive to, to help yourself get better and, and to let go of that pain uh, yeah. and undertake your pain. There's an awful lot um, of uh, great information in there, and uh, I would just like to come back on the this sleep is is very important, and it was important to me because at one stage I was uh, staying up quite late in in the evening or at night time throughout the early hours of the morning, and uh, you know not getting up and sleeping during the day and having no motivation to move forward, and then the cycle would repeat again. Yeah. It turned out that when I addressed some of those things and, and really mentioned how, how my sleep was making me feel. Uh, I had some investigations and it turned out I had some sleep apnea uh -huh. and, and uh, was put on treatment for that, the CPAP at nighttime. And really it has improved my energy, my focus, um, my concentration. Uh, so sleep is, is, is probably the most important thing that I needed to get yeah. sorted out first. Yeah. But there is a stage, there was a stage when I was just so numb that I just had avoided everything, had withdrawn, isolated myself, wasn't seeking help, wasn't addressing anything. And it, it can be it can be very difficult for you uh, if you just suddenly read something that says, oh, you need to you need to be doing this. You need to be getting outside exercise when there, there is no way you're probably going to go through the front door. So <laughs> it's all about the small steps, really. Absolutely. It's just getting out of bed is often yeah. a, a huge success when you're in a very dark place, as I, you know, I found is it was great to to not you know have migraines and to to be able to wake up and actually stand up uh, yeah. and not want to sleep all day 
uh, but, and it, but celebrating those small those small victories is is good, and uh, yeah. not being hard on yourself for not being out running five k when there's no way you can walk up the stairs without getting short of breath. There's nothing wrong with your lungs, but for some reason in a depressive illness that that I've realised now that you can be out of breath tying your shoelaces for yeah. uh, it, every, everything just seems overwhelming to do. Yeah. Um. So that's the point that I was at. But I, the only way that I got out of that was to slowly take small steps forward and concentrate on getting this small identifiable task done and then moving forward and doing a bit more than I did yesterday yeah um that was the only way that I got out of that cycle it took a while but uh, as I say I'm glad that I came through that because I've I've learned an awful lot more than I would have and heard an awful lot more perspectives than the insular Mm -hmm. medical world that uh that we live in and and educate ourselves in yeah, and I, I just uh, would like to celebrate your accomplishments because, it, you know, coming out of a depressive state is like climbing Everest sometimes and, and you can't just pretend that you're going to get to the top without doing the work to get just even to base camp um, and then, you know, taking that really slow uh, methodical plod uh, forward and and I, and I I often like to say if you struggle to comprehend how far you've got to go acknowledge how far you've come stay, take one step forward and just keep going um, and that that's often what it's like isn't it when we we're in that dark place is you know we know there's light at the end of the tunnel it might feel like it's an incredibly long way away but if we just keep walking forward we'll get out but the great thing about the tunnel is lots of people have been through it before and they've got a torch because they know the way so if you ask for help at the beginning of the tunnel uh some you know if you can't walk because it's too difficult because you can't breathe someone's there to carry you someone's there with a wheelchair someone is there with whatever you need to help you through it in in the best way possible for you. And that's why I think it is such an important thing that we create the right space for people to to ask for help and have these forums. So so for me, myself, we run weekly trauma recovery group coaching uh, every Monday and Friday, Monday at 8 p.m., Friday at 9 a.m., for people who who actually can't talk about their trauma uh, because it's too painful um, so that they can uh, experience the release of it, let go of it uh, and get themselves into a position where they can start to have that talk, those talk conversations um, about it. Because sometimes, especially um, for, for huge trauma, uh, where there is shame associated with it or or where there is um, confidentiality associated with it. People don't like to talk about it, and actually talking about it can sometimes, for some people, be more traumatising uh, in its own right. And that's why it's important that we offer a range of therapies yeah. um, that, that suits the, per- the person um, rather than trying to fit the person to, to, to the therapy. Um, and taking a really patient-centric or client-centric approach is is really important. 
Absolutely. Um, there's, there's definitely is no one size fits all. And I can't, uh, I can't uh, take my experience and journey and say, this is what worked for me. You need to do this. That's not the way I, I, I wish to advise people at all. Um, when I started to make a little bit of progress, I sort of supercharged my recovery by uh, writing my thoughts down, journaling through the day and putting Yay. these random thoughts down. And at a certain stage, I said, well, I would like to organize these thoughts into something that would be uh, useful. Um, so my, I was speaking to my daughter, she's 19 now, and um, she uh, she advised me to, if I was amenable to, to put some of the information on social media and I wasn't a social media person she, she set me up an Instagram account she said no don't use Facebook or Twitter they're not she said that the, the Instagram was a better way of doing short sort of informative mm -hmm. um, pieces and uh, she was right and by doing that and setting that up for me she um, I got to con connect with all of these other uh, people um, that that were there to help I've connected with lifestyle medicine uh, doctors I've connected with the both of those charities and Frontline 19 charity as well that um, provide counselling to frontline healthcare workers. Um, and I wouldn't have I wouldn't have found out about those unless I had been on Instagram just putting my little uh, pieces on there. Um, and I don't want to give out any prescri prescriptive advice to anyone on there. So I just will will describe my uh, experience and mm -hmm. um, and what others find useful at certain stages but not to be too hard on yourself and find your own find your own path through that mm. um, it's, in, it's interesting you say about some of those uh, support groups uh, I really uh, I really believe in the peer support I'll, I'll be attending another one today which is through the aware and I a mental health charity for anxiety depression and bipolar and it's very useful um, they do a peer support group every week and on a Wednesday and um, or a Tuesday and a Wednesday mm -hmm. so I'll be attending the one today right. and the huddle then tomorrow night there was also one that uh, I've attended on a Monday night which is for men to have the space to be able to uh, feel that they can express themselves. It's a human org. Um, uh, they do a men's uh, peer support group on a Monday evening. And mm -hmm. it's it's very useful as more people at that, maybe 25 to 30. So it's a bit more right. um, organized and you have to raise your hand in order to share. Um, and then they talk about a topic uh, or a theme such as growth or trauma or you know there'll be a theme for the week that, that mm -hmm. we all uh, discuss if we wish to do that um the the actor andrew scott um it, it supports that charity and he was on a video and as you said earlier he said it would be ridiculous for anyone to to say for me to say i've gone through my life and i have never had anything physically wrong with me no physical health problems at all so we would we would look at someone and say that's that's ridiculous that's unbelievable so he exactly. says in the in the same sense we have all had mental health uh issues or difficulties along the way and it should be there should be parity then and we should not stigmatize and say that i've gone through my life without any mental health difficulties that should mm. that should sort of raise red flags really yeah and i think you know the trouble is because we label ourselves as i've got the issue rather than actually talk about the organ that's in trouble we'd never mm -hmm. go to the heart surgeon with a heart condition and say i've got a beats per minute issue um you know I, when i take my daughter to when she had a heart you know potential heart murmur yeah. um i took her to the 
you know, pediatrician and cardiologist. She went to see a cardiologist and we talked about heart. And it was a really easy, simple conversation. There was no labeling of her. Uh, we talked about the organ and she could envisage where it is in her body and, and what could be in trouble. And we looked at the organ that was uh, to check that it was OK, made sure that it was functioning, much like you would do with an X-ray on a, a broken leg. It, we got, a, you know, an all clear, thankfully, but, we, you know, it could have been different. Uh, and the conversation, you know, went around her, her heart um, mm -hmm. for potentially having a problem. Uh, there was no labelling of her that you've got a problem, Lily. Um, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, it's your issue to deal with. Um, but for, for, for reasons of the way that the language has evolved uh, from a mental health perspective, we label ourselves as having the issue rather than talking about our brain being in trouble, which is in essence what it is. And because our brain is connected to the rest of our body, if we don't feed our brain right, we talked about nutrition is incredibly important. Um, and, you know, over 80% uh, um, of our neurotransmitters are made in our gut. So if our gut health isn't right, our brain health isn't right. And, you know, one of the first things that we often focus on when we talk, talk to people about brain health is making sure that you've optimized your nutrition for your brain because everybody's brain is different and that you've removed the uh, aspects of your nutrition that could be hurting you rather than helping you and not allowing you to make the neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine with serotonin being so important as our happy happiness chemical and dopamine as motivation and they're all really important in how our brain functions um, yeah. and it's you know we forget about that often uh, when we label ourselves as being the issue we need to look at the system mm -hmm. that 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 we are affected by to understand what the root cause of the issue is rather than the person having the problem yes i mean it's difficult for uh humans in general and especially medical practitioners as well to see the the brain uh, as this separate organ like the heart because it's so tied up with who we are um, and mm. the way we behave that uh, and we know so little about a lot of things but we're we're getting there we can see through fmri scans we can see the different areas of the brain that aren't functioning properly or overactive mm. in anxiety such as the amygdala and we're getting a little bit more knowledge um, which is really good um, and um, we are we are evolving um, uh, but it is difficult to separate and just say we've got a brain um, difficulty with our brain. We do find that difficult, but, but hopefully as we move forward, mm. we, we because it is a very useful tool uh, to, to sort of say that, that it's not, I haven't got a, a personality problem. Um, I haven't got an issue that I'm... Uh, you know that I'm weaker than others. Uh, I just have a, an issue with the the pathways and and wiring in my brain. That mm -hmm. uh, hopefully through um, raising my serotonin for a short period of time, creating new pathways and doing the right things, that those pathways will mm -hmm. rewire and. Uh, I, I can be improved moving forward and help myself. There's a lot of mm. myths as well about medications that they dull your personality or they. Um, uh, but hopefully, uh, they they you only need them for a short period of time in order to make new pathways in the brain, and uh, it's really down to doing the other things that makes you better. Um, yeah, and I, I think I really want to pick on that point because that's so key. Uh, uh -huh. Is that medication is a short term solution yeah. to get you over the hump, 
and it's yep. only a short-term solution for some people. It's not applicable for everybody. Yep. I, I know, you know, my my mother. It didn't work for my mother. Yes. Uh, and we used brain health coaching as a, an alternative and havening to really to really help us. It's got to be the right initial intervention that is right for the patient based on 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 their brain how their brain works as well because actually that's really important to understand is how their brain is actually functioning at the time uh, and any other conditions that are are, are relevant and then the deep work to the true recovery has to be done by you yourself you have to do the deep work on your sleep on your nutrition on your exercise on your gratitude journaling on killing the ants the automatic (laughs) negative thoughts those thoughts that we keep telling ourselves where we we depreciate, you know, self-deprivation, yeah. uh, you know, and, uh, uh, and and belittle ourselves. Often yeah. we're our own most enemy from a thought perspective, uh, and that has a huge influence on our on our emotions. It's it's like someone, you know, we cut ourselves a thousand times versus the individual that may have cut you in the first place because we keep playing it over and over again um we we actually do ourselves more harm than uh sometimes not all the time obviously the 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 person that's hurt us in the first place because of that playback that we have going on in our mind yes i mean absolutely um i totally agree and uh as medical professionals as well we're quite anti-medication for ourselves um and we don't uh we're often closed off to to seeking help because we feel oh i'll just go to the doctor he prescribed me this this won't work that won't work and you 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 already have mapped out how everything's going to plan out and that it's not going to work (laughs) before you even ask for help so that's that's the way the overthinking brain wow. will will work um but it's interesting you say about the um the the the, the treatments and uh, procedures that you're involved in uh there's a uh, th- there's a facility near me called a hydro ease that where they, they do um flotation um mm-hmm. in a sort of limited sensory environment and uh they also do group work and havening as you say and mm-hmm. um I, I've been for the, the the flotation in the tank and found it very useful. It's very difficult initially in the blackness to uh, to be at ease with your own self and your own mind. But um, I, I've gotten used to it now and it's built up my uh, stamina uh, as well. It's just one of the other things that just helps me to be happy yeah. with, with being alone with myself. Just yeah. to sort of float for an hour in darkness. Um, it's not like the old sensory deprivation. It's, it's sort of fully open. It's just yeah you know and you can keep small lights on if you wish but to be in the darkness is actually more beneficial and floating in the 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 small shin deep water with half a ton of salt in it is um the magnesium salts is uh it's very beneficial and for for the body and mind and um uh, yeah and she she was uh the the lady that uh sent me the links to attend um some of uh uh, Dr. Mate's talks live as well. Yeah. She arranged that. So uh, there's a bit of a link there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Doc, Dr. Gabor Mate has done some phenomenal work and helping people heal from, from trauma and, uh, and drug addicts. And, and that often it goes back to adverse childhood experiences is, is the root cause of, of the behavioral issues. And I'd love to, uh, to dive into, into that, if you will, if you wouldn't mind, yeah. sharing your journey as to to what led you to to realize that you were 
actually your your empathy or your empathic nature was becoming overwhelming for you at the time and that 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 triggered you into into a state of depression yes well i mean when when i was uh, younger um my um childhood was a bit unstable in that my uh i lived with my grandparents and mother for the first few years of my life and then mm -hmm. uh so and then my mum met someone else who then I believed was my father for a lot of years until she told me that that wasn't the case. Um, and that sort of struck me at a young age quite quite difficult. It was quite a difficult experience and difficult to, to, to get your head around as a child. And also that the relationship with my mum and stepdad was very, very turbulent and um there was some alcohol involved and things mm -hmm. like that and uh there had four other young very younger siblings that i basically became a child carer for at times yeah. um so but i thought this was all normal and my coping strategies then were to go into my own mind and thoughts um and to um think about how i would wish to be treated uh, and how how i would um realize what someone else was going through how did i do that so I, I i sort of began to feel that empathic um feeling and nature but i think i realized early on that it can it can overwhelm you but for some reason i put that to one side and didn't address it and um just to get out of the environment i just studied hard and um and uh just moved out of home when I was quite young, 16, 17, and uh, did my A-levels from a shared, it's quite um, student house that was, you know. Wow. Uh, so it was it was a difficult process, but um, I felt that this was going to fix me, the, the studying and the getting away. But uh, then when I got into medicine, realized how competitive it was and how probably a lot of the people around me had come from a, a more settled middle class type background and um i just felt out of place with this imposter feelings imposter syndrome mm -hmm. as they might describe it but um, imposter feelings and um that stayed with me and always caused me difficulty and i didn't ever address any of my uh, mental health uh, struggles there was nothing baked into training back then where it was mentioned or there was someone to go for help now now in medical training, the, the medical training deaneries or uh, boards have um, have specialised well-being classes and talks and things like that. It's not enough, but it, it is improving. Um, as to when I trained, when I graduated in 1998, so in the 90s there was nothing. We didn't yeah, that's mention well-being really, at all. To consider that your medical degree, which covers the whole body and mind, has nothing to train you in terms of supporting the mind. Yes, and supporting your own well-being, protecting yourself and yeah. topping yourself up from, uh, it, it seems to be that you've either got it or you haven't is sort of the attitude. You've either, you can either deal with it or you can't. But I sort of realized that that wasn't really true because I had seen people that started off quite uh, nice uh, individuals that would interact with patients very well and, um, the way they coped then was to develop a sense of cynicism or, or hard hardness mm -hmm. to themselves and and not to go to their boundaries were so put up that they wouldn't allow patients past a certain point and it, it, 
to that to the patient they would have felt quite detached and superior mm -hmm. which i knew i didn't want to, to to be so it took me a while to to sort of um be able to top myself up and be able to look after myself but without losing the the personality that i wish to present to patients mm. that must have been incredibly hard how 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 young were you at the time that the the trauma started was it was it literally from from, from birth th th three years old and um, wow. I, I had a great um a great life albeit uh with my i was it was in an abnormal or people might say that living with your grandparents and your mum out at work would be you know and it's not most one to three year olds uh, experience but um, there are quite a lot of different families out there, but I was quite happy and settled. Mm -hmm. And um, my grandparents showed me a lot of love, maybe overindulged me a little bit. So then when I was taken away from that environment at three years old um, into a, 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 what I seen was a, a very strict environment with a lot of shouting and screaming, and, uh, it, it was difficult oh, for me to process that. And that take, took you away from that? place of safety you know children yes. need that emotional security that emotional safety net to, to know that the adult the carer is a safe person to go to to emotionally regulate themselves and when that's taken away from them um it's incredibly difficult because you've got no emotional regulation yeah uh, offering anymore other than what you may get further down the line which is at school Yes, and my, my coping mechanisms was to avoid avoid any situations where confrontation or uh, terse behaviour or even assertion, even asserting yourself, would felt to mm. me felt abnormal. Felt that I shouldn't be asserting myself. That I should. So be you became hypersensitive. Yes, the very uh, hyper reactive type person. Um, but we have that has been shown that those uh, increased reactivity children do have a, a greater sense of listening and, and empathy later on mm -hmm. in life but it has to be uh, metered and, and and topped up at the other end by some self-care mm. and, and obviously you used it uh, i can relate to the education pieces you you buried yourself in your mind mm -hmm. uh, and used uh, and you study as your as your therapy mm -hmm. to escape in essence uh, and obviously that escape mechanism um, from from the from the from the fear that you were experiencing then became a fear factor in its own right because you developed imposter syndrome. Yes, I mean it just it just shows that uh, that might uh, those maladaptive coping mechanisms might work for a short period of time, but you will always hit the wall unless you address the um, underlying issues in a in a, in an. A proper way with others to talk about you know mm. um i, I the, the best way for me is to move forward with i don't have any, i have a good relationship with my mum mom and stepdad and i we've talked it through right. and and um you know, i'm not at a point of any resentment or or feeling that uh, that I want to blame my parents in any way. I'm I'm 47 years old now. Of course, I'm responsible mm. for my own uh, reactions to things. And if there if I have maladaptive coping mechanisms now, I have to um, address those myself rather than because you, you just stay in a, a cycle of of blaming and it doesn't it doesn't really move you forward at all no you get you get stuck don't you it's like a broken yeah. record that it just gets stuck and you can't move on with the next yeah. song <laughs> yes so, yes yeah 
<laughs> You're stuck so, in the record group. Yeah. <laughs> for those that uh, that know records, although they're <laughs> back now, thankfully. Um, so when did you when did you notice that you were experiencing this uh, struggle emotionally that you hadn't dealt with this past trauma? When did that come into well, your conscious awareness? I think through medical school, I realised that um, I'm probably not coping or behaving in the same way as some of these guys that, um, uh, again, a lot of in the 90s, a lot of their the social aspects of of medical school were based in alcohol as well. There wasn't, yeah. there weren't any other. I used groups. to go out with a doctor, yeah. so I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about <laughs> around the same time. Well. And that was your only social. And and I, as a quite a, a shy, introverted person, I didn't like to. I didn't like to go out into these crowded environments, and I couldn't strike up conversations with strangers easily, uh-huh. or even maintain conversations with people I knew in these loud, crowded environments. And I knew that it wasn't. Um, that I, that I wasn't I wasn't as social as everyone else and and I, I at that stage I thought yes that's because you know the way I've dealt with my childhood but it'll it'll settle but it never did it it, it uh, I mean I'm very I'm very good at uh, communicating with um, with patients and parents but I still found it very difficult to interact with the politics of of medicine and and found that very difficult. So uh, it was always a stress. Every day was a stress for me to go into work and to some of the confrontation that you had to some of the old school methods of teaching by humiliation or things like that. uh, I found very difficult. And I um, I found that too, you know, I can wholly relate to your experiences that uh i found confrontation really hard in in any way and uh, i would i was not i still struggle with socializing with people and i think it's because we um we have this we don't feel safe because that safety piece was taken away from us when we were young and so the people that you think is that trust piece isn't it the trusting that someone is going to support you uh, and, and going to empathize with you and understand you and and, and help you uh, and when that when that isn't there from it, it becomes our kind of default well I can't trust anyone uh, and so you know we go inside our mind because uh, that's our only space of safety <laughs> And so everything else outside of it becomes becomes a perceived threat. And then that inner inner world becomes dangerous in itself. In that, absolutely. it's a, overthinking. You think by um, by thinking for things for a long period of time, you might come up with some solution that's wonderful. But those thinking introverted thinking loops and uh, relying on intuition all the time um, can that that radar can go off, and and that's when you become quite unwell and being hard on yourself and imagining all the different scenarios that could occur before they've even uh, you've even tried to to approach the situation so yeah yeah, yeah that being inside your own mind it can become dangerous as well absolutely and and when was your actual obviously you went through you know in the 98 you were going through medical school and then you became a doctor and you're a p- pediatrician um training and yes. then I was in the training for I was within the training to become a consultant pediatrician, but I I was having difficulty Uh um, 
within that as I've described. And uh, so I, I took a, I stepped out of tr training and became what's called a specialty doctor or used to be called a staff associate specialist doctor, which uh -huh. is a, it's a permanent uh, middle grade type doctor in, in a, in a specialty. Um, and that was suitable for me at that time. And I, I was happy for quite a long period of time, although, as I say, I was probably paddling underneath the surface mm -hmm. and not, not addressing some of the things. So it did come to a head then in 2013, 2014. And what um, was the big head that it came to, if, you, if you're happy to share? Obviously, you don't have to. It, it gets to a stage where um, when you are, when you're, um, within a, a depression that that your performance starts to fall off so and then I started to so it was kind of gradual yeah yeah so I started to uh to believe that uh, this is my fault um this is just because I'm not performing well it's there's nothing mm. else involved I'm just a bad person I'm just a bad doctor and that the, all of those uh self-deprecation as you say just kept playing over in my mind and I just came to crisis and uh, was diagnosed with major depression and had to leave work at, at that stage um yeah. although I remained in, employed over those years um but uh it's been a long road to try and get back into mm. uh uh, into work. Wow! And you said you just recently come back into work. Uh, yeah, well, I'm start I'm starting a program to uh, of reintroduction and uh, uh, phased return as such, and right. um, just being being uh, uh, just slower and uh, also nurturing those other passions at the side has given me something uh, that I can call my own and uh, f to feel a sense of purpose within that's separate to the that just performing the pediatric service tasks mm. that a specialty doctor would do and um, that's one of the things especially doctors feel uh quite straining is that they they just perform the service tasks and they don't seem to have any ownership of of okay. their job so um that sideline of, of of well being now has become essential to keep me balanced and um and uh, allow me to perform the service tasks for pediatrics, which I wouldn't give up because I twenty years experience in pediatrics and I uh, I know that I had a, a lot to give there, as you said. Some of the reviews from patients did. Uh, it was nice of you to say that. Uh, I hadn't. I hadn't uh, seen those until you yeah. mentioned them last week. Uh, and I went back into that site and read those reviews. And it actually gave me a little boost and a little confidence that, yeah, I'm not finished with pediatrics. I, I shouldn't go in another direction completely, but I should balance that out with some other passion as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can all have uh, our career doesn't have to be a straight path and it doesn't have to be to, to be a uh, uh, prescribed as uh, in medicine. It's just like you, you, you train, you do this, you become a consultant at this mm. time if you if you don't do this at this time then you're not you're not performing it's it's all very uh, rigid uh, but it's probably within our own minds and if we really step back and said no well i would like to do this in a slower pace and i would like to do something else and i would like to have a mismatch or a, a portfolio of of jobs that i do within my career then uh, we would probably find that it is doable <laughs> mm, I think that's wonderful, and, I, I, and your review—the reviews that I've read um, online—are are absolutely phenomenal. And and you can tell that you you have approached your um, uh, your profession as an empath because you because of the way the reviews are written, and and often being an a, a, an empath is is very difficult because you absorb other people's emotions. You don't have an emotional barrier. 
Uh um, And what ends up happening because of your past experiences, you you can't turn that absorption off. So you're taking on everyone else's emotions because you haven't been able to create the barrier, you know, at a young age to know this is my emotion and that that's yours. Um, and that's when it be, it can become overwhelming is you you just become an emotional magnet and, and, and it just depletes your your energy reserve because you you just topped yourself up with everyone else's emotions that that not necessarily constructive for you yeah. uh, and the emotional lid blows. Uh, yeah. And that sounds like possibly what's happened is you through your service, you you just were absorbing, absorbing, absorbing. Um, doing your best to serve people with it, you know, with your with a phenomenal empathic approach, but there was no barrier for you. And the lead uh, up to, to the lead up it. to me going off or becoming very unwell as well. You know, there were difficulties in that. There was a, a bad run of serious cases of children that, that yeah. unfortunately didn't make it. It seemed to be one after the other. It, it yeah. seemed to just just. Uh, pushed me over the edge a little bit and because yeah. my performance was falling off slightly I was having yeah. difficult relationships with colleagues that, and there was very little support within the medical profession and it, you I felt uh, I just, can't I can't disclose all of this because it'll it, it was just it just, just made it I made much. it all worse I made it all worse for yeah. me in that um so the the, the stigma the self-stigmatization and all of those things just all combined yeah. and and I had to uh, you know I, I burnt out basically so yeah. um but I'm glad and that's that completely understandable you know because our surroundings have a huge impact and we don't acknowledge the impact our surroundings have on ourselves it's not just about how our brain's wired it's about how our brain gets wired <laughs> as a result of our surroundings at you know in our childhood and also within our workplace because our brain's constantly evolving and adapting uh, and if we're if we're experiencing a destructive culture that isn't serving us then our our brain starts to shut down because it it you know and rewire well, it can shut down also rewire itself and and and, and become hypervigilant again um, and that doesn't serve us either. No, no, no. It, it can make the situation worse, which I, I know I'm glad that I have that experience because I've seen in some of the peer support groups that some of the younger doctors are going through exactly the same that I went through. And, and I can see the steps that they're taking that will make the situation worse over time. Mm. And I'm able to to give them my experience and say you need to step back you need to talk about your your, your experiences and you don't have to you don't have to go along a certain uh, trajectory uh, you're not a failure if you if you do something else or take a step back or do something a little slower um you're looking after yourself so that you can be the best doctor you can be for your mm. patients and i've found that very useful to me to be able to impart that advice and, and hopefully prevent some of the younger doctors from from going down the same the same harmful uh, trajectory as i did mm. and i think it's really important is care starts with self-care mm -hmm. Uh, and we need to remember that. And I think I know it's incredibly hard from a, the profession that you're in is often the self-care gets put on the back burner yeah. um, because the care of the patients becomes a priority. But obviously, if, you, if you're not looking after yourself first, it's very difficult to look after everyone else effectively. Yeah. And then you're not and then it comes a point where you, you're not looking after your patients properly. And you, yeah. you, you, you may. You, so 
it's important to to realize that and, and to be able to step back before yeah. you actually um, uh, make the situation an awful lot worse. And what was the big shift for you? I know you you know we've we talked about the going one step at a time yes. in your journey of recovery and celebrating those little wins every day because every day is a win. Waking up in the in the morning is a win. Um, what was what was the big? Were there any big needle movers for you? Yes. Um, well, I waited quite a long time from 2014 to 2016 for CBT um, and once I started the CBT initially uh, I wasn't opening up to the therapist the way I had been doing mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't been doing so that's cognitive like behavioral that. therapy yes um, and it's the NHS uh, it was on mm -hmm. the NHS and there was a quite a long waiting time so um, in 2016 I eventually got slotted in and I, I luckily uh, the, the therapist I got slotted in with was amazing and uh, he really just went at my own pace and a lot of the times in the NHS, when you don't attend an appointment, you just you just get this automatic response that you you will be removed from the list. But he would actually oh phone me up and say, "What happened today? You didn't, you know." And he would be, he would give me that space, and and then slowly but surely, I was able, I trusted him more within my, right. uh, and I was able to open up and describe exactly how I was feeling. So he would listen, and then we would go through some of the techniques um, to to. Uh, uh, change my coping strategies and behavior um, uh, slowly and um, it, so from 2016 to 2019 I had one of those sessions every week which was amazing wow. it, it definitely was more benefit than attending the psychiatry appointments um, mm. but uh, but uh, when he retired then in 2019 he said I think you're okay now you've got the tools I did feel that I would fall off a cliff but I didn't you know I did he was right I right. did have the tools and from 2019 onwards I, I've sort of been able to build on that and sort of the, the recovery has taken off from there mm. and I think that's really important for people to recognize you know is that recovery can take a long time uh, and it, and it's just to honour the struggle and to honour the journey. And and your journey, it sounds, has been one of uh, of deep learning uh, and revelation in in a really good way. Uh, to to have the tools now that you can now share with others, your experience you can share with others to to help people, other people see that there is a way out, and and it uh, and the importance of of opening up to someone that they can open up to in a safe way yeah as i say to the the younger doctors as well there there are very few if any people who uh will recognize that they're they're depressed will go to their doctor straight away will get the appropriate response from their doctor will get the appropriate treatment at the right time and will recover within x number of weeks that that doesn't happen <laughs> it's, yeah, and, every, and, everyone has a struggle and a different absolutely and a longer so, so and you know the system. There's this perfect, there's this perfect um, response. It, it, it's not going to. You, yeah. know, you, you need to realize that you're not failed if if you if you take it slower. If if it's sort of not clean along the way. It's it's there's so bumps in the road. That's the way most of us actually experience it. But again, even the medical profession won't say this to you. They, they you know, you get this impression that you know there's this clean depression that. Uh, that gets resolved quite quickly <laughs> yeah and, and and it can it can stay with you but it's to know that you've got the those tools to manage it and to be yeah. aware of it and you know our emotions i like to think of emotions like a wave um and that waves keep coming you know the waves keep coming but it's knowing that the wave is coming 
yeah. and knowing how to ride it and whether you want to ride it and how, and how to how to surf it and if you don't want to ride it having the tools to dive deep uh underneath it to let that that wave ride over you and dissipate what what we often find is we we've got no awareness that the wave is coming because we're not checking in and then suddenly we get hit by this enormous wave of emotion uh, and we end up going bongo sliding for those of you that know surfing or, or basically being you know thrown around in the wave as it's crashing onto the shore uh, and then we're very confused and, and discombobulated wondering what's happened uh, and then suddenly another wave hits us and another wave um and it's you know knowing that we can swim out to sea <laughs> it's, very, it's very important to recognize those emotions and uh so, so to be aware and recognize that it's okay to have a certain emotion this is the emotion i'm feeling and uh and to be able to deal with that in a rational way but not not beat yourself up about having the emotion or feeling guilty that i shouldn't be feeling like this um it's just recognize it and have the the tools then to to manage that yeah. which does does come over time and practice and you don't get it right every time yeah. but um but but be, being gentle on yourself is very important yeah I, I get curious we say get curious not furious with them every mm -hmm. emotion is like you say is valid mm -hmm. um and we can leverage negative you know negative if you want to call them that no negative emotions we can leverage in a positive way like anger is a good emotion it, it fires us into action yeah uh, and it's often seen as something that we shouldn't have but but you know embrace everything and, and learn how to ride them and learn how to use them and leverage them to best effect yeah i would uh, say that the, the anger um uh, again is one that i i didn't like feeling angry at all and felt that it but it's really the beha the abnormal behavior that we don't like that results yeah. from not processing that anger properly. Absolutely, absolutely. What do you think um, needs to change within the the medical profession um, going forward? What what do you say the sort of key the top three things that need to happen and you know to help people? Seventy five percent of of doctors or or, or medical personnel of uh, are, are struggling with a mental health issue is is a phenomenal uh, yeah well mental uh, mental health uh, struggles rather than a mental illness mental health but, struggles yeah um th that was a bma survey um mm -hmm. last year british um, medical association yeah. yes yes so that, that was done last year and the 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 doctors in distress as well have done a few surveys mm -hmm. um um that have come up with the same figures um yeah th what i find is just the open and honest conversation within the profession that we all do have mental health struggles that's okay and to expect it to happen um and to to know how to support each other without um pushing we tend in medical to push someone away that's having uh, difficulties because as mm -hmm. though it's as though it's infectious as though if we get involved with this person it's just going to take up too much of our time and we're not going to be able to care for our patients and that's what we're here for so we tend to push away a colleague that's having um difficulties or or feel that someone else should be there um to help them other than us but just that that we do support each other and that we do talk about it open and openly and honestly and as i say the the new charities that have arisen since 2018 i'm really positive about those and um, they are promoting the open and honest uh, conversations about mental health within the profession and changing the culture slowly realizing it, it is going to be slow but uh we will get there um, 
um, and peer support, I think as well, is going to be very important. And I think we should have it in every medical workplace where there is some form of peer support group where you're you're interacting with people that, um, and you're in a safe space. You don't feel you're you're going to occupational health and you're being assessed and you're being evaluated mm-hmm. in a negative way. Um, that you're able to share your thoughts and feelings um, in a safe space um, and independent from your job or your career. Mm. And I think I think that's really important. I think also, you know, from my personal experiences, I found uh, I didn't want to go to therapy. Uh, I wanted to 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 get support that would I actually want to I did want cognitive behavioral therapy actually that's not strictly true that's what I wanted but it wasn't available to me Um, and so I was given a positive psychologist which actually didn't really serve me it wasn't the right type of um, therapy for me and and the therapy that worked for me was not therapy at all it was coaching and it's it's to know that there are there is that those offerings are out there they do exist um, for people to ask for help um, beyond the system, um, if that's what they feel they need to, to get themselves through, because it's all about learning new skills that will help you now and later um, and learning different ways to approach whatever you're struggling with so that you can uh, live a, a, a thriving rather than a surviving yes. uh, a lifestyle. I am passionate about uh, the coaching within uh, coaching to be an integral part of NHS as well. Culture uh, that a culture of coaching is normal. Um, I'm see- I'm seeing a lot of uh, the B- the BMA or providing uh, coaching sessions now. So I'm very right. very enthusiastic about that. Mm. And I've been able to connect with um, doctors that have become coaches on. Uh, I've connected with them on Instagram mm-hmm. and the little Instagram live coaching sessions, the coaching pod as well that I've been on have really helped me as well. Um, right. uh, when I've been at a certain point, there would have been a point that I wouldn't have been unreceptive to that, but mm-hmm. now it's 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 improving and supercharging my recovery. Well, that's hopefully. brilliant because this is going from men- mental health to like you say, to mental wealth and to really yeah. focusing on how you can get your brain optimized um, rather than sitting in the just being okay, yeah, space is 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 wanting to feel extraordinary and to be able to leverage that to to serve everybody that you want to serve now, not just just the uh, children that you know that is yes. your passion. Yes, and and thriving within that, yeah, is, yeah. is absolutely key. What one piece of advice would because this show is all about. Um, brain health and really unchaining uh, your pain what what one piece of advice would you give to anyone who's in the medical profession that is feeling they're getting to a a, a dark place of depression and, and overwhelm what what one piece of advice would you give them um to, to talk about it and to um not feel um uh that to feel that that it is a strength to do so um there are an awful lot more organizations within medical schools and um, uh, when you're a doctor that you can have that independent discussion with someone. NHS practitioner health um, is only available in England and Scotland. We're trying to make it available in Northern Ireland, which is an independent bespoke service uh, where doctors can access uh, uh, assessment, treatment, uh, talking therapy. And uh, so, so 
basically talk about it with the appropriate people that, that are there to support you would be my biggest advice mm. I, I i completely agree and i think it's so important to 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 ask for help because when you ask for help you're giving that gift to somebody to actually help you it's a gift asking mm -hmm. uh, for help because there and are a strength. people out there and a strength yes mm -hmm. exactly and so a we real should... strength we should see that as a strength within the medical profession and and be more worried about those who cruise through and and do not ever ask for any assistance mm. or help. yeah Let, les brown who uh, has an amazing quote he says ask for help not because you feel weak ask for help so that you may remain strong yes and i think that's really important that, that we recognize it as a, like you say as a strength um to, to do that absolutely philip it's been uh just an absolute pleasure talking to you today i know we've got the banner that's uh, running below for those that are watching how can uh people connect with you well i have the instagram account that um i post little uh, living experience uh pieces and also some of the the charities that i'm involved with so that's uh wealth on instagram and um I would be involved with those charities. I raise funds. I do my sea swimming now in the sea. The cold therapy helps me. So I've got some posts about sea swimming for mental health and uh, and uh, brain health as well and nutrition and sleep. So um, it's a, an interesting account and it has, has helped me just to, I didn't really expect or wish to reach anyone, but it ha the connections that I've made on there have been absolutely amazing. Yeah, and, and and I do encourage people to go to your account. I love your swimming escapades and <laughs> and the wonderful posts that you've put put up there. So thank you so much for for joining me on my thank show, Doctor Philip. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I and I wish you all the success uh, in in fulfilling what you are passionate about and fulfilling your purpose at, uh, going forward. Thank you privilege thank you this broadcast is brought to you by winject studios we are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners downloads and income we come together to focus on community collaboration and collective impact for more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.